In the following live session recording, Stuart Lang and David Self, State Missionaries, Community Missions and Disaster Response with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, talk about cooperation in disaster response. In this session, the listener will hear a discussion about response efforts following Hurricane Michael, including lessons learned and how church teams and credentialed disaster relief volunteers can partner more effectively for future disaster responses. Let's join Stuart and David now. Okay, so uh, a lot of this is going to deal with what we learned after Hurricane Michael. Let me give you some history, some uh, snapshot of disaster relief. Because not, I mean, I, I hope you'll credential. I hope you'll come to one of our orientations and get folks from your church. Uh, because the more we have, I, the stronger this whole process is, in my opinion. So, but for our history with credential disaster relief, we, were, we were, existed before 1989, but we got our organizational start, strong organizational start after Hurricane Hugo uh, with Rick Patchen. He was the state director, two men before me. He was um, state director from 1990 to about 1996. Uh, Unit all of our in Georgia, and this is different for other states. But in Georgia, all of our disaster relief units, including the one across the street that's feeding you today, those units are owned by associations. We don't have units owned by the state, so that is a key difference from Georgia disaster relief from other states. I don't have state units for the most part. I've got one or two that sort of fall under my umbrella, but. Almost all of our units, including those who are operational as far as feeding, cleanup and recovery, even child care, they belong to associations. So I am dependent upon these guys and their counterparts across associations. It's a partnership that we work together in. And, and I like that. We do not have any units that are built or maintained by single churches. And to me, that's very important because in Southern Baptist life, one of the things that sets us apart is our cooperative program. So disaster relief to me is a great picture of cooperative program. And if you have a church unit, then many times, and other states do, states who have a church unit, many times that church unit wants to do its own thing and it's hard to um, deploy, become, it's hard to become part of that team if you're not part of that church. And so I, I love the idea of associations. In fact, I had a guy uh, call me a few weeks ago and say, hey, our church is interested in building a disaster relief unit. Actually, he wanted to build a chainsaw unit. And so I said, okay, well, two things. All of our cleanup and recovery units do wind and water damage. So we don't have just chainsaw units and we don't have just church units. So uh, you need to talk to other people in your association to see if there's support for that. He said, is that a is that a requirement? I said, it is in Georgia. <laughs> so i not trying to be rude about it, but that's just, we have found this is a great platform to build a stronger volunteer base on. So this is a key point for our discussion today. For me, with my credentialed volunteers, the emphasis is on credentialed volunteers for the initial response. You need to keep that statement in mind as we talk about partnering and expanding the, the opportunity. 
um, a history within disaster relief, not just Georgia, but all of Southern Baptist disaster relief, and we talk about it every year when state directors get together. How do we handle SUVs? SUV stands for Spontaneous Unaffiliated Volunteer or Spontaneous Uncredentialed Volunteer. And it's not just a Southern Baptist disaster relief conversation. Red Cross talks about SUVs. The Salvation Army talks about SUVs. GEMA talks about SUVs. Uh, I'm, I'm a member of Georgia VOAD, Volunteer Organizations Active in Disaster. We talk about it at that level. So SUVs I don't, is a, um, before we became so politically correct, we would say it was a problem. Now we have to say it's, it's an opportunity <laughs> that we're trying to figure out. But it's an issue because uh, typically the SUV is a person or a small group of people. They're not affiliated with anybody, but they show up in Blakely and they say, James, or to the Kentucky disaster relief team that's there, hey, we're not trained, but we want to work. And they expect us to help facilitate them because they want to help. And I'm glad they want to help, but it's, it's an issue because I don't know who these people are. And uh, so you're going to see a different term here in a second that I prefer and that I want to intentionally work with, and that's one reason we're doing this session. So why is this a challenge? Well, at the convention, Georgia Baptist Mission Board, we have a strong vetting process for all of our employees and volunteers, not just disaster relief. If, if you, if you uh, volunteer to teach music at music camp, like my son does every summer, and you're going to go to Tacoa, then you have to go through our vetting process. And it is a very strict, and of all the Southern Baptist state conventions, ours is the strictest. Now I'm not saying anything bad about that. I, that's, that's reality. So let me stop for just a second. Let's, let's take disaster relief off the table. You need to have a strict, robust credentialing process in your church or you're inviting trouble. Um, You've got to be very proactive in preventing child abuse and sexual misconduct. And that's what this is all about. And if you haven't heard stories recently, cut the news on. And within a month, you'll probably hear of another church or another religious institution or another politician that is uh, being sued into the hundreds and thousands of or millions of dollars because of this issue. So is it a little frustrating? Yes. But if we can if we can prevent child abuse, I'm all for that. So if I have these credentialing requirements, that means I don't have time to credential SUVs. Does that make sense? If they show up on site, I don't have a good opportunity to vet them per our policy. Another issue with SUVs is I've got 2,000, 2,500, 3,000 volunteers in disaster relief who have gone through this credentialing background. Why should I tell them that it's okay to not be credentialed if they've paid the money and taken the time to go through it? That's a, that's a slap in their face in my mind. That's, I mean, that's rude to my own volunteers. So 
if I'm going to invest in them and they're going to invest a Saturday and $40 to come to an event and, and go through an orientation and be credentialed, I'm going to respect that. And that's where I'm, that's the basket where I'm going to put my eggs, so to speak. I, as State Director of Disaster Relief, when we have a disaster, this is my first and foremost focus as my volunteers who have gone through the process to say, I want to go and I'm willing to be prepared ahead of time. Another reason I, I have an issue or a challenge with SUVs is because of risk management. So I don't know who they are. That means I don't really want them sleeping with my volunteers. I don't want them using the same shower unit that my volunteers use. I certainly don't want them going out into the community working with my volunteers if I don't know that I can protect the safety of the children and the homeowners in that community. So this is a huge, huge issue for us. And I really, I don't want to be rude to them, but I, I don't want to touch them with a 10-foot pole. And I hope you all at least understand why, even if you uh, don't agree with my angst totally on that. So here's the new emphasis. I like the term affiliated groups. And that's what we did after Hurricane Michael. So let's change the conversation. Instead of talking about SUVs, let's talk about affiliated groups. And an affiliated group to me is a southern part of our Southern Baptist family. They're from an association or they're from your church, but your church is a Georgia Baptist entity. So after Hurricane Michael, when, when we realized how big it was, and David and I first started talking, David took the baton to ask other associations for help. So now it is associational missionaries all over the state asking for people from their churches to go help James in Blakely, but they bypassed me. But they're part of our GBC family. And I'm all for that. I, I, have a, I have a much higher degree of confidence asking for Georgia Baptist Church teams to go help James than I do responding to unsolicited volunteers that show up and I don't know where they're from. Does that make sense? So here's from my DR is short for disaster relief, not doctor. So the disaster relief perspective. My volunteers are being told if, if a group shows up from David's association to help in James's association, our role is to facilitate but not manage. So David shows up. He shows up with six guys and three ladies. And they just want to help somewhere. Our role is, okay, David, here are some homeowners who need help. Here's names and addresses, and this is a lower skill level job because they haven't been through my chainsaw school. Not that you have to do that to be a DR credential, but I, I know the capacity of my volunteers. I don't know his capacity. I would rather give him something that I'm confident an average church team can do and if he wants more, he can certainly ask for it, but I want to give him those jobs. That is facilitating him. David and his team are welcome to eat with my team, but he is not welcome to sleep in the same church with my team. But I will still facilitate him trying to find another place where he can stay. 
And in James's case, he found a state camp close by, a state park, and, and some of the volunteers stayed at that state park. So we will do our best to facilitate him, but I'm not going to ask one of my volunteers to manage his teams because if, if I manage his team, I just what? I just became responsible for his team. But they've not been through my background check. They've not been through my vetting process, so I can't take that degree of risk management. Now, y'all can say, this is getting into a lot of legal ease. Unfortunately, this is the day in which we leave. This is reality for us. And again, you need to think about your church policies at every level. Uh, this idea of just because somebody says they belong to Jesus does not mean we can trust them with the keys to the church. So that day is long, long gone. So let's take, talk Michael here for a couple of slides, and then uh, David's going to start interjecting here. Hurricane Michael followed Hurricane Florence. Hurricane Florence was one of the worst storms the Carolinas have ever seen, at least in recent history. It was, it was pretty mammoth. To give you an idea, North Carolina alone had a million meals prepared uh, because of Hurricane Florence. That's a lot of food. A lot of food. So uh, if a visual will help you, when you go across the street for lunch when we finish this session, that unit that's set up out there, they are preparing 900 meals today for lunch. That is a drop in the bucket. That unit has the capacity to do 10,000 meals in a day. So you take one unit that can do 10,000 meals and, and divide that into a million meals. There were multiple units all over North Carolina. Florence was huge and Florence packed a lot of water. I sent teams to South Carolina for Hurricane Florence and we, we were there for about five weeks. And that's before Michael hit. So I already had disaster relief volunteer fatigue going on with my volunteers before Michael ever hit. And earlier, before Florence, we had also been to Connecticut for a tornado response. And so we were, we were getting thin before Michael hit. The blessing, one blessing uh, in, in the horror called Michael, one particular blessing is it did not pack any water when it hit Georgia. It did Florida. That's why Mexico Beach is decimated plus the, the strong impact of the winds, but when it came into Georgia, it left all the water behind. And it was, it was in essence, a 23-county-wide tornado that, that hit Georgia. So that is devastating, and I don't want to minimize that, but it could have been a lot worse if it had had the water that it had when it came into Florida, or that Florence had when it came into North and South Carolina. So even in the midst of this horrific storm, Georgia was pretty blessed. Uh, I hate that a 12-year-old girl lost her life in Hurricane Michael, but to my knowledge, she's the only one that lost her life. And it, I think it was King Cloud told me she actually attended VBS a couple of three months before Hurricane Michael and had given her life to the Lord. So the little girl was a believer and had been praying, I think, for her mom. James, do you remember this? Does that sound familiar? Yeah, Jen told that story, yeah. Um, praying, for praying for her family. And it was like, Lord, help me if you can use me to reach my family for the Lord. That, what an awesome prayer for a 12-year-old. 
and she's one that ended up losing her life. And so you know that had to have an impact on family for the sake of the kingdom. And I, I'm not, don't read anything into that beyond what you need to read. I'm just saying we were blessed with a very low fatality count in Georgia. So it was, it was bad, but it, it was, uh, there were blessings along the way. So because of the news media, and especially because of the media in Panama City and Mexico Beach, it created a mass emotional appeal that did not go away. Now, potentially uh, incendiary comment that I don't mean to offend. At this point, the media is not my friend. I'm not saying media is bad. I am saying the longer the media focuses on a bad event, the more the heartstrings are pulled all over the state and the country. And the more those heartstrings are pulled, the more people feel led to go do something, which creates an extra burden on a weakened infrastructure. And so we're back to the SUV challenge again. Uh, we're also finding in Georgia, churches wanting to help. Thank God. Yes? But there needs to be some direction. And I'm, I've got a fatigue base, so I'm ready for some help. Enter David Self as an associational missionary. Thank you very much. Uh, well, I got a phone call uh, from Stuart Lang, and uh, I, my job that year, I was the president of the fellowship of the AM uh, of the state of Georgia, and which normally it means you conduct a few meetings and have a training and it's all over. It's pretty easy. Uh, this year, uh, Hurricane Michael kind of added to it and it was kind of something a little bit more than what we anticipated and, and Stuart called, exhausted, uh, and I, I was called and now I'm afraid uh, because I've never taken on anything statewide before, never. I just never saw that as my role and it's like, uh-oh, he said, call somebody. And I said, all right, I will. And I called one associational missionary. He said, I'm out of the country right now. And I hung up the phone. I said, God, okay, it's me. Uh, but I'm going I'm to need a lot of help. And so I called Stuart back and said, all right, I'm the guy. Um, I, I'm afraid. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, well, you, we can learn. And he said, literally, get another associational missionary beside you, whispering in your ear, helping you figure this out. I saw somebody yesterday that was, I began telling them the story, and they said, oh, it sounded like you were building a boat on the water. Yes. I said, yeah, that's exactly what it felt like, because if I couldn't build this boat, we all would drown. So that's a lot of weight to put on someone's shoulders, but could it be done? Well, I just got curious enough to try. And I realized I didn't have a lot of information, and uh, so uh, I didn't know the counties that were impacted at the time. Uh, I think we were all still learning a little bit. I was looking on the internet, and depending on what problem was going on, is which counties got outlined. So I started calling associational missionaries that I knew. James was one of them, uh, and uh, and Ken Cloud was another one, and they were giving me what this is what it looks like here, and there was a lot of information that was there. Uh, I. Uh, uh, I wanted to help. 
uh, and the people that I was trying to reach out to were often, they were not DR credentialed. Now, the, what I was fortunate to have is that there were a number of them who had DR in their background, but they were no longer credentialed. And when my team said, uh, yeah, we want to plug in, uh, we want to step up and do this thing. Uh, if there was one person on there that had been credentialed, they kind of had an idea what DR was doing. So I would tell you this, if you want to help in disaster situations, go get DR trained. Jump through all the hoops you need to jump through. And then one day somebody may call on you and they may say you're no longer trained. You may no longer have the credentials. It may not be, you know, you may have timed out on your credentialing, but you do have an idea of what we're getting ready to get into. And there are a lot of people then come in with wisdom. And they'll say, I don't know, I'm not credentialed DR, but I know that for a fact we shouldn't cut that without some paperwork. And that because they've been there, they've seen it. And so I would say learn from DR at first. But we were trying to uh, build a boat that was already in the water and trying to swim. Uh, so that's kind of an idea about what we were doing. It was, it was I don't know if James, you want to share something about your, your end of it? I can. <laughs> let, me, let me just say, say first that the, the credentialed DR people, the disaster relief, were, were just really great. And, and y'all all know uh, Hurricane Michael struck uh, on, on a Wednesday afternoon on the coast in Florida and then uh, later that evening in Georgia. So. Uh, the winds actually didn't abate in Blakely where I live until around midnight. So it was after dark and uh, uh, it was the next morning with first light, you know, I, I just went outside and was just looking to see, see what had happened, see the damage and, and uh, made a phone call first to, to this man here, Stuart Lang, uh, first thing and, and um, you know, he just took things from there. We had a, a disaster relief uh, person from Georgia down on Friday to do assessment uh, in our in our counties and then um, uh, because there's one association south of us that was that sustained more damage than than than, our, than we did and that's the Bowen Association where Ken Cloud is and so that's where Georgia DR the, the folks who could be pulled out of South Carolina went and uh, so they set up there and and, and uh, but Stewart immediately uh, initiated uh, uh, with with uh, with NAM, with North American Mission Board, and, and the whole DR structure, uh, a nationwide response, and uh, and so we were able to get the uh, initially the the groups from uh, Kentucky Disaster Relief to come and, and serve in our association, and and then uh, in surrounding our area was Virginia and Mississippi was in Albany. So they're just all the different states yeah. coming together. But um, but then um, uh, you know they they do they do great work, but they have a limited deployment time, and uh, you know they're uh, the Kentucky folks were with us two weeks. Uh, we had folks from South Carolina of all places uh, then came and and helped for for another week, and uh, so. Uh, but they they have their their deployment and then they go and then there's in our case uh, we were left with over 200 about 250 uh, unfinished jobs that the credential DR crews had 
had uh, had had gotten the paperwork on and everything, done the assessments, uh, had done some work in some cases, but couldn't finish. And um, so we so we had this stack of unfinished jobs, and that's when uh, David, as as and what they were trying to do through the state network of of our associations, uh, came into play. And then we had uh, uh, so I I in my case I had three three Georgia Baptist associations uh, that that sent teams to our area, um, and in each case, Stuart. I was contacted first by the missionary, not by the church or the, the, the leader of the group, but first by the missionary, David, and then uh, 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 in, in Carrollton uh, Association, and then uh, JoJo up in Chattahoochee Association. Uh, you know, the missionary contacted me first as I got, I got uh, groups from a church or a group from the association wants to come, and uh, you know, can you use them? Where can, where can they stay? That kind of thing. And, and so that was uh, two groups from, from Dave's association there in San, Sandersville. And um, uh, it was just a, a great way to follow up because our recovery efforts, we were still doing, we were still doing chainsaw, you know, through the end of November. Uh, and so it just took a long time, longer than, than the disaster relief teams could be deployed. So now let's uh, come back to the associations yeah. that came to you. I remember one time James and I were talking on the phone. He said, I'm actually in Alabama because we don't have power. So I have to come to Alabama to charge my phone, to, use my phone yeah. to be able to talk. And yeah. so now he's right on the Alabama line, but he didn't have service where he was at. Right. And so that's some of the... Um, devastation that can take place so and we're going to keep bouncing back and forth here for disaster relief response we had multiple feeding sites with Red Cross and and Salvation Army He's on the way. sorry I apologize we also had multiple cleanup sites these are some numbers not the non-credential these are just credentialed numbers that we had after after Michael. Uh, over a thousand volunteer days, sixty thousand meals by my by disaster relief volunteers uh, in southwest Georgia and then over forty professions of faith. That's a huge number. That is a really big number. It boils down to every six times we shared the gospel at least one person prayed to receive Christ after Michael, which is a phenomenal statistic. So I this was this is the largest storm that I have faced as state director in Georgia, and so I knew we had to we had to parcel it out. We had to delegate. So Marcus Merritt is a state missionary, and he's uh, his department was with pastors ministerial. I can't even think of the name of it now, but I said, Mark, can you just when pastors call, can you take them? And it's not that I don't appreciate them, but I need to stay focused on my volunteer group. And he said, absolutely. David, you've already heard how he took the AM collaboration. Mark Strange is in communications. If you had turned around, he was actually the one in the door taking pictures a few minutes ago. And their session is right next door to us. So he helped me with communication, whether that was email to pastors and churches or to the association of missionaries or to whomever. And he just, he handled communication for me. He also took a lot of the media off my shoulders and did interviews. And I would help him write the message and then he would deliver it for me. And then James mentioned some of these. 
and I forgot South Carolina, but we had Kentucky, Mississippi, North Car of all North Carolina came and helped us with feeding in Bainbridge. This is Southern Baptist Convention of Virginia, and then there's another convention in Virginia. And so uh, these guys were set up in Dawson uh, doing cleanup and recovery, and this convention was doing feeding in Albany. And so it was just a mammoth, uh, a mammoth response. So between November and March, uh, this is in the handout you got, but David uh, came up with these with this kind of report for you? Uh, what I did, I began to ask pastors. My first phone call was to, to get, well, I, I called the convention. I said, I need everybody's cell number. And at that time, they, the office at the convention knew all the cell numbers. And other ones was kind of hit and miss. But I, I got a list of all the cell numbers. And once I did, I started calling every associational missionary. And I just asked a couple of questions. Uh, what are you doing, mainly, uh, in disaster relief? What's, you know, it, you know, do you have teams deployed? Do you, what exactly? And so we began to unpack this and begin to realize. And I started putting notes down. I still have, uh, it all started on the back of an on envelope uh, all my notes I mean it was rough uh, and my wife said I got a I got a map of the state of Georgia and I began researching realizing which counties were involved uh, and then backing that up I began to learn which associational missionaries were dealing with the worst parts and some of our associational missionaries were ill during in this case I mean Ken Cloud uh, I think had pneumonia had a heart issue uh, and somebody else had pneumonia. John Paul uh, had pneumonia. You know, at all at the at the worst time possible. Well, this put a lot of pressure on everybody to step up from different angles, and so we just we did uh, did the best we could. Uh, but as I called uh, and I got everybody out with asking the question, "What are you doing in disaster relief?" A lot of people began to step up and do things, and later I was able to uh, by December come up, or this is probably early January when I came up with uh, um, I started doing this, and it finally ended in March. I made a final tally on my computer in my office uh, about everything that I knew about up until March, and that's when I cut it off. Um, we wanted people to do it long term because short term was not going to do it. It's never going to do it. Hurricanes don't allow for short term. Uh, the problem's always one step bigger. Uh, we had 27 associations that contributed financially. Uh, and uh, uh, this, these are people who either said, yeah, we sent money, we did this, we did, and this is easy. Anybody can do this uh, through the association. You send money to your association when there's a disaster and watch where it goes. And it'll be doing some great things. People literally put uh, cards in my hand and said, here are some cards, take them to where they're needed. I found associational missionaries that were just like, I don't know what to do next. And I was able to bring cards down to them and say, look, Put this in the hands of some of your pastors. Gift cards. Gift cards. Yeah, th thank you. Uh, and these gift cards were able to, you know, uh, help people. Uh, that and just cash flowing. Uh, and this is what 27 said. They, they sent cash or gift cards. Uh, 22 associations said they sent needed items. In other words, they, they found out that something was needed and they took it. Uh, and the hard part about Taking it, Stuart will get into this a little bit later. Is uh, it's if you if they need it, they need it now. They don't need it tomorrow. 
Uh, and, and, and if you raise it a month from now, the need's passed. So that's another issue. But 22 associations sent needed items. By the way, I saw, uh, I was in, Katr in Katrina, I saw people unloading clothes. And they were in the outside of the Walmart parking lot. I saw clothes stacked that high. And it rained before we left. So all of that was ruined. That's what happens when you don't do it right. Um, but, uh, but 22 associations, were, they were responsible in sending needed items. 17 of those associations uh, of our, what, 90, I think 91 associations at the time uh, had actually sent, uh, uh, sent teams. So that was, I, to me, I was impressed that they were out there. Uh, but I can't take the credit for this. These some of these associations are already gearing up. All I did was find them. Uh, and so, but the work goes on. Uh, collection for goods is easy, but it requires uh, uh, clear direction. What, what do you want to do? What do, we want to, what do you need? I think the water problem, I think, you know, you were a recipient of the water issue. I think Albany was trying to warehouse water, and people were sending water down every day when water wasn't the issue. Uh, we had, once the elect, had enough electricity come on, well, wells were working. When wells work, you got water. Uh, so it's a different, the need was different there. Um, so we did have too much water. That was, a, that was a problem. So if there's a need, we have to be very specific about it, and it's time-related. Uh, the gift card thing, I think I've already mentioned, is wonderful because you can take it literally and put it in the hands of somebody and say, take this and go fix your problem. Um, you know, so you find somebody that's like, and a lot of people, they get really stunned. They don't know what to do. And they're just standing there trying to figure it out. And then they can't wrap their brain around the, the, the size of the problem. But somebody with a gift card can walk up and say, go buy so-and-so. And once you get them off center, it's like, a, it's like they can do it now. They yeah. begin to see the bigger picture. But you have to give a bump. And gift cards are a great way to, to bump start some great opportunities. David, can I say something about that? Yes. Gift card is a great thing. One of the neat things about the gift card is... If I get uh, some gift cards to Lowe's or Home Depot or something like that from another association, I can put those in the hands of a pastor, one of my pastors. So you got two families that were really affected by this. You know, you, 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 you give these to them. And that empowered our pastors because most of them, they were all affected too in their homes. But it empowered our pastors to be able to do the ministry to these folks. And it wasn't coming from some, you know, organization out there somewhere. It was coming from a, a local pastor. And they were able to, to minister those people, you know, even though they were low on their own resources at the time. Yep. And, and uh, you know, that... We, you know, this is not your motive for doing this, but we do. We did have some folks, you know, some families become involved in churches because of, or through this outreach and pastors being able to help them get on their feet, you know, with these with these gifts. So, it was a great, yeah. great ministry too. So, why why do you think we would say up front collection is easy? Anybody want to push back on that? Most people would give them. give something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they like to give tangible. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> they like to give tangible. They're much faster to give a tangible pack of diapers 
or a can of a uh, case of green beans or something that's tangible they can go to the shelf they can buy it they can put it on the truck uh, the problem is if you don't have and I think it may be coming up uh, if you don't have somebody requesting it and ready to receive it distribute it it's going to go in the landfill and tons and tons of goods after Hurricane Katrina ended up in the landfill so if you can help us with this in your church if you can advocate against unsolicited donations that's uh, that word unsolicited is the key there so we learned communication is critical uh, not just from me to and with my disaster relief family but we need to communicate more clearly with churches and associations so you've probably gotten this by now but when I get in disaster mode I am focused on my volunteer teams I want to make sure they have what they need to serve in that community because I know what they can do and they've gone through my training they've gone through credentialing so they receive the bulk of my attention and I cut red tape so that they can keep doing what they need to do I can get so focused on that that I forget about 3,500 churches who want to participate also and so that we need Mark Strange and now John, John uh, Courtney is also with us on staff and we I met with the two of them this past Wednesday and talked about this very issue how can we improve our communication during times of disaster so that churches know what they can do when they can do it what they need to not do and it's amazing how much time I spend trying to politely tell people please don't do that or this isn't the time that's that's hard that that's a hard message to it's hard to hear when people want to do something so we're going to try to do better about maintaining current status options donations are always going to be available but also opportunities and again the timing is crucial so here's the illustration for that Hurricane Michael hits another associational missionary not far from here uh, called me and said hey we're collecting bottled water do you know anywhere that we can take it and I said I'll, I'll call and this was early early after Michael hit and at that point there was a need for bottled water and I said yeah I, I think between James and Ken and two or three others we can we can probably find a place for your bottled water what happened next became a bottleneck uh, because it slowed everything down so in my mind I'm thinking you run with a bottled water I, because if you've got a truck and you can collect it and you can take it praises that's off my plate you've got something to do your churches have something to do. go do it but then he announced it and that announcement last this is going back to what David said we don't need it tomorrow that announcement lasted for days and so over the next week churches and his association continued to collect bottled water bottled water and in my mind what I meant was yeah you got water and if you want to ask a couple of churches that you know can respond fast to get water and take it tomorrow that's what I had in my mind but that's apparently not what I said because it was a week later before he went and by the time he got there with his box truck James was covered up with water and another week goes by and I'm talking with James again he says 
please do not send any more bottled water. I don't want, or I don't want to see another bottle of water. So, and Ken Cloud was the same way where they were. So, um, the timing of our requests and your response to that request is crucial. Uh, several years ago, 2011, we had Hurricane Sandy hit New Jersey. And it, it hit late October. Well, our annual GBC meeting is the second Tuesday in November. And I was driving to work in the morning and I heard, I listened up in Atlanta at 95.5 um, WSB. And so I was listening to them and, and somebody was talking about sending hygiene kits. And as soon as I heard it there, I thought, that's something Georgia Baptist could do. So I called Dr. White at the time. I said, Dr. White, I want to collect flood buckets and send them to New Jersey. And at this point, we're a week away from the convention. Y'all remember this? A week, we were a week out. And he said, well, how many you want to send? I want a thousand. I, I think we can get a thousand buckets and send to New Jersey. And I want to collect them next week at the annual meeting. Can we do that? And he, he finally, he said, okay, we can try it. We ended up collecting 1,300 buckets. I mean, we put it out to all the churches in the convention, and we ended up collecting 1,300 buckets within a week's time to go to New Jersey. Now, back to this point. A week after the annual meeting is gone, we're still getting calls in our office. Hey, we got our buckets. Can we bring them to you? We got our buckets. Can you come get them? The opportunity was gone. Now we're trying to find a way to still be able to take those buckets for, and warehouse them somewhere, stack them somewhere. But that's what we mean by crucial. If we put a request out, we need it today. We don't need it next week. So cooperation, here's another lesson learned. Uh, there's going back. Collection of goods is easy, but we've got to be clear in our direction. Communication is critical. Cooperation is invaluable. I, I can use you in disaster response, but I cannot use you, even affiliated teams, I can't, I can't put you to work with my child care if it's deployed, and I'm really not going to put you on my feeding kitchen um, because we are health inspected. And so I'm really not going to ask you to help on my feeding team. If push comes to shove, we may could find some jobs, but not for a group. If you bring six, eight, ten people from your church, that's a, that's a good many extra bodies to put on. So in, that's what I mean by sensitive areas. Early participation and cleanup, yes, that's our goal. Now, having said that, give me a little space. We've got to get there and get set up. We've got to start the initial assessment, but after a couple or three days, it may be a week, and if it's flood, don't even call me the first week. We can't do anything to help a homeowner until the flood waters are gone. But after every hurricane, people want to respond that, I mean the day after the hurricane hits. That's the worst time to respond. So I, I, hope, I hope I'm coming across, I promise you, I'm going to look for those opportunities to ask these guys to call you to come help. 
but I'm not going to call them until I know we're ready for you to come help. Does that make sense? Um, now, churches are autonomous, and pastors are, and they may say, we're going to go now. Uh, we're going to do our best to be kind, but I can't promise you we're going to be able to do a whole lot if, if we're still in the initial setup stage. Now, here's the goal. Participation needs to lead to long-term partnership. So I hope David and others are going to keep going back for another year or two years to Blakely, Georgia and the surrounding areas. I hope those partnerships are identified. So here are some questions for affiliated teams and James, here in a minute we're going to come back to you and ask the question from the affected area. What are some questions to address? All right. Number one, has anybody asked you to come and help? they haven't, they may not be ready for you. And it could be a disaster waiting to happen. Uh, you know, you don't know where the hospitals are. You don't know where the food is. You don't have all that lined up. You just got a big heart and you get on the road and go. I don't know where that's going to go. But it, you create a nightmare for the associational missionary when you show up. He doesn't have a place for your team to sleep. And I know teams will say, no problem. We will, we're going to sleep on the ground. It'll be fine. Well, is, is there law enforcement present? If you're bringing your team into an area that people are scared, they're afraid, and anything can happen, and you expose your people to that, that's not a way to help people. And that's a good way to get hurt. Uh, you need to know what's there. Uh, other logistical needs need to be available. Uh, where are you going to sleep? Uh, one of the things I wanted to know when I called James and, and others is like, look, we got teams coming down. All right, where, where are we going to sleep them? And he would give the ideas of the places and the churches. Sometimes it was on the floor of a missionary, of, of an associational office. Sometimes it was uh, uh, at a, a park, state park. Uh, other times it would be uh, a church. Uh, that maybe uh, uh, James knew of a church that did not have a pastor, but members would say, look, just come on in and James, you supervise. And our groups came in and we sat down and, and our, our group looked, sat down at one table and said, all right, what do we need to do? And he was the man with the paperwork. You need to be responsible to somebody when you go down there. Uh, you, you don't wildcat. That's, this is not a good day to learn to learn how to wildcat. Not a good thing. Uh, but the the infrastructure uh, is it ready to support uh, additional volunteers? Uh, because you know if you're going to a place, there's no food, there's no place for a bath. You've got a bigger problem. Uh, do you have knowledgeable team leader? So who's your team leader? Uh, if you're going to go down there with a team and we got all got big hearts, but nobody knows how to lead. Guess what? There, you're going to have to make decisions quickly on the ground based on uh, resources available and uh, leadership styles. All of this, you need to identify your leader before you go. Uh, and Because I want to know who your leader is. If you're going from my association, you're going down there, I want to know who your leader is. Uh, James is going to want to know who your leader is. If we all got in one room, we just looked at James and said, yeah, we're all here together. We don't, we don't know who the leader is. Who's responsible to who? And if there's not good leadership, you don't really, you won't get it done. Um, uh, do you have the equipment and supplies needed? Guess what? You get into a situation and you've got uh, 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 maybe a high pressure line on your grappler explodes and you're going, oh well, we're out of a tractor now. What do we do? Go home? Or is there a place that can fix it? 
So what's available? Who's going to know? The locals will know. You need to find out, is the hospitals open? Uh, so after some disasters, hospitals are not open, and they don't work very well. Uh, you need to know this stuff. Your team needs to know this stuff. You need to be prepared about what you're getting into. Get in touch with someone who's local and find out what the community can offer you, what support services they will offer you. If not, your team may get into deep trouble. That's not where you want to be. You can get away, you can come away with a, with a, a bad situation. Uh, you know, do you have an extra chain? Uh, you, first time your bar gets pinched and you can't use a chain anymore, is it time to go home? And that can happen on day one. Uh, or do you have extra supplies? Uh, we had a team go down and one lady, she, I thought, this lady, I don't know, she's kind of, she, she, she's not really the, 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 the tough person, Ben. We were all looking at lumber. And uh, she said, no problem. When your chainsaw gets dull, bring it to me. And she sat there and she worked all, she kept all of our chains oil cleaned and, and running and all the blades sharpened. And she'd hand them off. She said, it's ready to go. And that was, man, it kept us going. Uh, Let's go back to infrastructure for just a second. In Florida, not so much Georgia, but in Florida, there was an issue of gas. And so there were teams trying to get into Panama City and Mexico Beach. Mm -hmm. And they would, if they didn't have enough gas to get there and sustain themselves, I'm talking about their car, because gas shortage was an issue. That's the kind of infrastructure we're, we're adding to this also. There are times when local authority, government, will say, we're putting a curfew. And so the power's still out. Power lines are still down. We don't even want you going back in to check on your home yet. And, and once that starts, they may say, we have a dusk-to-dawn curfew. Nobody's allowed on the streets. And so we, we come under their governance at that point. So uh, if they're still doing search and rescue, we don't need to get in the way of that. And so there's a lot of things that apply to my teams and the affiliated teams but infrastructure is a is a big deal here um, because it and I, and I I go back to James he didn't have power so let's I'm not I don't want to put him on the spot I want to say this on his behalf let's say I have a heart and my church has a heart to go help him but let's stop and think about it for a second because if James doesn't have power at his house and he's trying to figure out where his next meals are coming from. Now, if I call him too soon, hey, James, this is your good friend, Stuart. I got a group of eight guys from our church. We want to come help. We want to be a blessing to you. And so we're going to be there tomorrow. What I haven't, or what I've been pretty callous about, here's the implication. James, I need you to put me up. I need you to find a place for me to sleep. I need you to find food for me to eat. And it really doesn't matter if you don't have food to eat and you don't have power and you can't take a hot shower. I need you to stop what you can't do and take care of my team because we want to come be a blessing to you. Now, that's about as crass as I know how to say it. And at the bottom of that conversation, it's not about James. If that conversation's going on, that's about Stuart feeling good about Stuart. It's not about Stuart helping James. Now, a week from now, it may be a whole different situation. 
but that's that's part of what we're trying to say here let's don't let's don't hurt those that we really need to be trying to help in the process uh, and this may be where James wants to to speak to some of this to speak to some of this and James hadn't seen the slide but uh, um, I, we put this slide and maybe the next one too okay. from your perspective trying to think of questions that you may need to think of <coughs> when you're ready for these affiliated teams to come um, from your perspective so you right. can change the question if you want to but yeah well and, and this this first one I'm am I safe and connected and of course we we uh, first first thing you do when you're in the midst of a disaster is as it passes whether it be a tornado or whatever is, you, is you're checking on you know your neighbors you're checking on your family and all and and, and make sure everybody's uh, okay and so there there may be some immediate things you got to put give your attention to like Stuart's talking about and you don't have time for <laughs> you know the the outside uh, uh, inquiries uh, first thing we had to do was cut a tree that fell out of our yard out of our neighbor's driveway so they get out the driveway you know so there's, there's always some immediate thing you got you got to do uh, but connected we were blessed because we still had cell phone service that immediately after the storm I was I told you I was able to call Stuart first thing uh, Thursday morning but then the cell phone tower went out uh, later that day on Thursday and we were without cell service for like three days and uh, and so the the major major issue in, in trying to communicate uh, and, and guys trying to call me and calls wouldn't go through and, and you know just just simply because we didn't have phones um, so uh, you know that that's something that just, when, when the man came down on Friday to do assessment he he was just flying flying blind because it, you know his phone wouldn't work and everything but 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 he, we we did meet meet him and we got together and he got to do his, his job but uh, uh, Accommodations is uh, is really a big deal um, uh, because you know I, all of the the folks from areas that that came and helped us kind of up in this region, Metro Atlanta area and such. Uh, uh, I, I notice I notice here I'm staying in Stockbridge last night. You know, everywhere you drive, you got hotels, motels all over the place. It's not that way in Bethel Association. Right. We don't have hotels and motels, so you know, don't don't assume you can just come stay in a, ho in a motel or hotel. And so we would have to find places. Uh, you stay in a church. Kentucky stayed in in my church, First Baptist, for two weeks, uh, and then we had. Uh, 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 Thank the Lord, the state of Georgia. They blessed us. We we have a state park near near Blakely, and and they uh, allowed our groups to to stay there for for weeks thereafter in the group camp for free, no no charge. And um, so that was that was a blessing. And then I do have one church that has shower facilities. That's another issue here under accommodations. Uh, when you, when you have volunteers to come, you need shower facilities. Amen. And um, <laughs> Stuart can tell you how many units are in in Georgia, but it's not it's not enough <laughs> shower units to go around, and um, so um, you know that's that's a big big part of it. Uh, it's not on this slide, but um, David was talking a few minutes ago about equipment, and that is, that is so key. You you know to talk with the missionary there on site about what the needs actually are because I had groups 
or, or individuals call me that say they want to come down uh, and just do some chainsaw work for a couple of days and I said well what kind of chainsaw you got you know uh, one thing about the credential Georgia crews on cleanup and recovery is they all use the same chainsaw same brand yeah. so they're using the same parts and it's big professional grade chainsaws folks want to come down and they got a small chainsaw we didn't that that was useless where we were we had huge trees huge trees all over the place and so we didn't need just big chainsaws we needed tractors we needed grapples uh, things that could pick trees up and so um, Kentucky blessed us with they brought several uh, you know flatbed trailers with their with their uh, heavy machinery on it and, and we could not have made it without them so yeah it's got to be the right kind of equipment for the setting and, and only the people who are there on site can tell you you know what's really what's really needed there so so yeah that's that's one another reason why we need to communicate I think it's okay yeah good so we've already talked about that's a bad question that's bad writ, badly written I apologize but do you have from the affected from James's perspective in the affected area does he have contact with local authorities mm -hmm. to know what they have going on and back and forth. Am I prepared to help direct or manage affiliated teams? So James is a uh, James is able to do that. James has the personality and the skill set. He can do that. Ken Bowen had that. But not everybody does. It doesn't mean they're not called of God and it doesn't mean that they're not effective in ministry. But not everybody can do this. And I, I I'm, I'm weird, but I get to watch in some of our own staff even at an event like this and we got some folks on staff who are schmoozers they can work a room but they'd be lost if I asked them to go out there and help my feeding team but in fact it would be detrimental and my feeding team would pick me up and put me in a pot of boiling water if I asked some of these people to go help them so it's just different giftings and different skill levels if you are, if, and I'm saying if, if you are in the affected area and these questions, you're asking these questions now, if the answer to this is no, you need to find somebody who can. You need somebody who can uh, essentially work a spreadsheet of requests coming in and who they're assigned to, to go, to go work. Um, are you prepared to assume at least some degree of risk? Now, let me go back to the state park thing because I, did, I didn't anticipate that coming up. Uh, I'm very grateful the state of Georgia said, yes, teams can stay free. Let me tell you one reason they might have been willing to do that. FEMA gives money to communities after a disaster. But usually there is a stipulation. So let me pull some figures out of the air. If FEMA says to, what county is, is Blakely? Early. Early. So if FEMA says to Early County, we'll give you $10 million, but you need to come up with the first $500,000. I imagine that's going to be a stretch on Early County. James drove me around. There, there are some towns in his association that are just hanging on by a thread. They're, they're struggling. 
So I can imagine Early County's going to say, we don't have $500,000. But if they can count volunteer labor at so many dollars per hour, they're going to get $500,000 really quick. And so Georgia knows that they help Early County by offering free lodging for volunteers to come in and help because that equates towards money that FEMA requires of the county before they pitch in their part. And I'm, I'm beginning to understand that a little bit better as I go along. So another thing that's not even on here, whoever's managing or facilitating these teams, keep up with your volunteer man hours because that computes into dollars for the community that, that FEMA will more than match. That's a big deal. It's important to keep up with that. So, and it's not about you saying, well, we worked this many hours, look at us. No, we worked this many hours, now you need to match it and give to the county. Um, so we're just about there. I think two so what slides and, and I'll be done. We, I want to be more intentional and faster to request your help, affiliated support. Uh, collection, possibly. Of specific items, flood bucket, hygiene kit, uh, gift cards. There may be some other specifics, but if I put out a request for items, it will be specific and it'll, we'll, we'll be asking for those quickly. I will ask for cleanup efforts because of all that we do in disaster relief, this is the easiest thing for church teams to jump on without having any training. And you've already seen my key phrase, we're going to facilitate but not manage. Uh, I encourage you, want to continue to encourage the DR credentialing process. We have three more orientations actually in September. And if you go to gbcdisasterrelief.org, you can see when and where those are. We're going to work, I'm continuing to work with new research and development team at the Convention for Improved Communication. I've talked about that a couple of times. And then this is my last point, last slide, last point. Uh, if you are interested in a disaster preparedness plan for your church, all you have to do is let me know. I'll be glad to come walk through the process with you. When I leave after an hour, you won't have the plan but you'll have the steps for putting the plan together. Questions? What denomination is a good uh, value for the gift cards? What, I mean, is there... I mean, 25, 50, 100, 500? Yeah. 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 I would think in increments of 25. Because that, that's the way a lot of people think. Yeah. Not just the Walmart, Home Depot, Lowe's, but Cracker Barrel. But it, before you buy restaurant gift cards, see what's in the area. For that matter, before you buy Home Depot or Lowe's, see if there's one close. Let me just say this. I, when I was handed a lot of gift cards to send, and when I did, uh, I had to come up with a way of accountability for those cards very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, and because, uh, so I put them in an envelope, but this is what I did. I, every envelope had a thank you card in it. And uh, this is for the receiver to 
go, oh, it's a thank you card. I can sign my name on it, put it in the envelope, and lick it. The, uh, the stamp is already on there, and that when the address is already on the outside for the church that was giving, and it just goes right back to these people. And that the responsibility of the receiver uh, it's not necessarily the associations I'm working with. It may be a homeowner that needs to do this. That's going to bless that church. Oh, yeah. When they give, they look back, and here is a homeowner saying thank you. And when that happens, uh, people begin to realize that those cards actually went into the hands of people. And they all might not do it, but I was trying to uh, keep accountability for what I was doing. That's pretty smart. And you definitely got to stamp it. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a good thing. Stuart, I want to ask you a question. I made uh, several slides back about um, uh, you talked about two sensitive areas where you don't want to use non-credential people. The, the uh, uh, feeding and feeding, child care. Child care and the feeding was there. Um, uh, it is permissible, though, for non-credential, even local volunteers to help on just serving, if it's just putting the meals out there. And this is what Kentucky, uh, when they, they were with us, uh, in, like I say, in Blakely for, for two weeks, for six days they did a thousand meals a day for the community just at, at one, one meal, one, one dinner, dinner, right. dinner meal. They had enough with their cooking crew to prepare those meals but not to serve them out. But so they put them in the clamshells and we just stood out there on the street and handed them and out. Handed them out to folks, and that was the local yeah. churches doing doing yes. that. The volunteers from our own churches, and that and that way, the, the the folks in our community were they weren't receiving the meal from somebody with a shirt on that said Kentucky. They were receiving the meal from from their neighbors. And I'm, you know, I'm and good that with was, that. Yeah, but that's that's not uh, doesn't involve food safety or anything. Correct. And we didn't. We you know that was just for. Right. Actually, handing the the distribution. Yeah, I'm down. good with that. Yeah. What was the contact information for to get certified? GBC DisasterRelief.org. Just and spell it all out. And when you get in the middle, you got to have the R at the end of disaster and the R at the beginning of relief, or it, it won't work. Questions. When I started state director 13 years ago, almost 13 years ago, the the mantra was, when the issue of SUVs come up, just try to say no and don't do anything. But that that doesn't work. That's not a. That, I don't think that was ever a good answer. But at the time, Southern Baptist Disaster Relief was so strong that we could get away with it. Fast forward a few years, there are many other organizations involved in disaster relief now. And even if you take that particular ministry off the table and think about something else in your church, we are competing. I don't know if you thought about it, but your church is competing with other churches of other faiths and you are competing with other ministries and other organizations and you are competing with non-faith based organizations and in disaster relief that, that's a pretty sizable number and so it, it took longer than it should have but we are realizing 
here again, not just in disaster relief, but across the board, uh, we need to be as open as we can for our Southern Baptist family to stay engaged through Southern Baptist ministries. And we've, we've just, we've got to do that. We need, we should have been doing it all along, but we need to do that. And so uh, that, that is a driver for this particular breakout session. Anything else? Anybody else? Just after relief credentialing, how long is the process once you go to the website? Great question. So the orientation itself is about a four-hour event, typically on a Saturday morning. The background, the vetting process, 80% of it is online. Uh, the convention, two years ago, September 2017 or so, fall of 2017, we started doing all of our vetting through a ministry called Ministry Safe. And so there are five components to the onboarding process. There's a volunteer agreement, a code of conduct, a background check, and a, it's about a 45 minute video that you watch. Those four things can be done online and then when you come to the orientation, we, the fifth step is a one-on-one -on -one interview. And so we're doing our very best to a red flag and thereby avoid any potential child abuse, sexual misconduct. That, that's what we're looking for. You need some similar process in your church. And you need to not apologize for it. Alright, so we're done with presentation. Let me give you a two minute devotion and you can get in front of the line for lunch. Amen. Michael hit on a Wednesday night and it caught a lot of us flat-footed. On Monday, before it hit Wednesday, it was just a number, it wasn't even a name. And then it hit and during night, Wednesday night, it was catastrophic and Thursday morning we woke up, I was flat, I caught flat-footed on the same, had no idea. And so when a storm that size hits, my first thought is, Stuart, you need to go. But I couldn't go. It was just something holding me back. Friday, I couldn't go. Friday, I got home. I said, Tanya, I'm probably going to go to Southwest Georgia tomorrow. She said, okay. I mean, she's she's used to me going. I think she almost prefers it, and that way she and our dog Samson they get along fine without me. Saturday morning, I got I couldn't go. Saturday night, we get ready to go to bed, and I'm I'm. I have angst. I'm worked up because I know he's hurting and I know Ken's hurting and I know there's thousands of people hurting and I, I, it's not that I don't have DR volunteers going. They're going and they're setting up and I, I've got other states coming in but I wasn't there. Saturday night, Tanya, I'm probably going to get up and go to Southwest Georgia tomorrow morning. And by this time she's probably saying, when are you finally just going to go? You know, Sunday morning, I woke up and I didn't sleep Saturday night. I was restless. I could not sleep. I just, I felt like it would have been wrong to go. And so Sunday morning I said, Tanya, let's, let's just go to church. And after, we go to the morning, the early service, 9.30 service. So we, she's a school teacher. We get up early. And after church, I'm going to go to the office. I just, I need to go to the office and spend some time and pray and and I went to the office after church Sunday 
and I spent five or six hours there. Now our office building is deathly quiet on Sunday afternoon. That's the nice thing about working at a faith institution. It shuts down on Sundays for, for Sabbath worship. And it was very quiet. And in that five to six hour time period, praying, wrestling with God, waiting on God. Here's the devotion, Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. And when I, when I finally stopped trying to figure out things, and I spent a few hours waiting on the Lord, that's when the Lord planted this seed in my heart and mind. We need to tap an untapped resource. Stuart, you got people on site who can set it up, and they can set it up better than you can. You're right where you need to be. But we need to organize this thing. That was on Sunday. By Tuesday, I was at the State Operations Center with GEMA. And that's when we had this conference call with James, David, Dave Nelson, and Ken Bowen that you've heard about. And the five of us are on phones, and we're talking about this plan. How can we bring other associations in? And y'all, it worked. And it's not because of David. It's not because of, it's surely not because of Stuart. God blessed our efforts. And when you get into a fix, whether you're in the affected area or whether you're on the end wanting to help, before you do anything, stop. Wait on the Lord. And He will direct your path. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. And God's direction will always work better than whatever you can imagine to do for Him. Lord, thank you for our time. Uh, thank you for James and Ken and John Paul and uh, other associated Hans and others in Southwest Georgia. They carried a torch that was just unbelievable. And I know of at least three of them that had immense personal issues going on at the same time. Hans, we hadn't even talked about him yet, but Hans's mother was ill in South Carolina, sorely ill. And he was trying to be an only child to an ill mother in a different state and at the same time take care of his association. And Lord, I just can't imagine how heartrending it was for these guys. And thank you that your grace sustained them. Thank you for David and Dave and and Larry and Jojo and um, two dozen other associational missionaries in other parts of the state who wanted to help and they did help but they did it in a way that was helpful and not hurtful. Lord, I want to thank you for hundreds and hundreds of disaster relief credentialed volunteers who some, I think some of them sit by the phone and they just wait for opportunities to go serve Christ in crisis. But Lord, more than anything, I thank you for 40 plus souls who said yes to Jesus because you saw fit to allow Hurricane Michael to hit our state. And if the hurricane hadn't come, we might not have gone and they might not have heard and they might not have said yes. So Lord, at the end of the day, as horrific as it was, thank you that your kingdom grew because of a tornado, a hurricane. Lord, thank you for the food you prepared and for my volunteers out there in this heat, this terrific heat. 
And I pray you'd watch over them. Thank you for their devotion to serve. And I pray you'd bless that food to our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank y'all for coming. <clears throat>